You're listening to the Set the Tone podcast with Anthony Manuel. Every week, I'll be talking to a new guest with a refreshing perspective on body, mind, and spirit to help you see the world and your life in a slightly different way. I hope these conversations inspire you and help set the tone for a new way of being. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anthony Manuel, and here to set the tone this evening or this morning or this afternoon, whatever time you are listening to us talk, is one of my closest friends in the world, Joshua Coleman. Josh is joining from Australia, and Josh and I have known each other for several years. Uh, We've lived together. Josh is a meditation instructor. He is a Reiki master. He is also one of the people who I think offer some of the most balanced perspectives in dialogues of personal psychology, spirituality, and just in general emotion, uh, politics, and and beyond. So I'm really excited to have Josh here with me today. Um, And Josh, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, man. Um, You did forget to mention, yes, we have lived together, um, but we also lived together in the same room. Yeah, we shared shared a (laughs) room. It was room share. <laughs> there's, there's a difference between roommates and like literally living in the same room. We shared a room. Our bedroom. We're in the same. We're in the same roommate. That's what I kept on saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, I've I've had the pleasure of watching your work evolve over the years, and I know right now you're recently a new father. You are living with your partner, and you guys are doing work together. Um, why don't you tell me right now, because I don't really know 100% what you're up to as your latest project and some of the work that you and Lily are doing together. Yeah. So the latest project is we're actually putting together some course content for online courses um, mm. because we bought a bus and we are outfitting that bus right now. And the idea is to film some online courses and then go for a travel trip as those courses are rolling and then do the upkeep like the live streams to uh, patrons and that kind of stuff while we're actually traveling on the bus feeling pretty excited and that's like a pipe dream but now it's not a pipe dream at all now it's we're ripping seats out of a bus you know like it's very much very (laughs) tangible physical experience which has been super cool (laughs) that's incredible so what are your courses about what do you have um like a course structure are they interrelated yeah yeah so Structure, uh, course structures in particular, has not been a strong suit for me. I'm not sure if you know that, um, but that's actually been a bit of bit of tr- trouble putting it all into one place. So uh, Lily is actually in the middle of creating the actual format, and um, and we have a friend who's going to be we're hiring her to upload the stuff to the website. So she's going to upload it in such a way. Um, so this is going to be a three-person project where I've spent most of my life just kind of trying to wing it all myself. And actually it's pretty mm. sweet, pretty sweet. And just from my own personal process, um, I realized that I wasn't really allowing for help as well. Like I, mm. if I really look on the inside, I've actually been quite uh, picky with uh, sharing work, this work with people, like actually doing classes together with people has always been quite difficult um, and organizing classes with people. So I'm actually challenging a lot of that stuff on the inside right now. To get through it to be able to work uh, better as a team um but it's it's been a process for sure <laughs> and what, what where do you feel that resistance to because i'm the same way man like I, I find collaboration with others is a big mental barrier um where do you think that comes from for you um i want to talk about it in a nice way so if i'm talking about it in a nice way it's just that when i have a vision i just want it to go through exactly as it is and i don't really want to fuck around with other people's perceptions or energies yeah. or time timing or anything like that just being just real i just i don't really like working with other people at tree planting which is a job you and i did together i did not work with other people i went off on my own and did my own thing and it's always been natural propensities that's the nice way to put it the not nice way to put it is there's probably control issues and um and issues of um of pickiness and particularness (laughs) um that is hard to work with another person so if i want to look at again in in a gentle nice way I have a vision and I want it to come to fruition. In a not nice way, I have control issues. And I feel like um, I've actually spent an awful lot of time getting very comfortable with shadow aspects, if that makes sense. So it's very easy for me to say, oh, sometimes I have control issues. Control issues arise within me. Um, And lately, I actually wanted to talk about this a little bit. Lately, I've also been really um, pleased with the universe for 
bringing situations for things to come up um, without um, without needing to really fish for them. So mm. <laughs> the the flow that I'm in these days is if there is something like a control issue or blind spot or something, it's coming up and it's coming up in a very real way. So I feel very lucky to be in uh, partnership with Lily and in this family setting and in this country and in this energetic space um, to be able to just get very, very real about those things. Um, because yeah, what is the other option? <laughs> I mean, the the other option, I guess, would just be be a control freak and never work with anyone, and you know, yeah, still, exactly, just and, trying to do everything on your own. And truthfully, again, I don't want to then swing polarized in a polarization to the other side. I'm like, oh, I'm completely open, and I don't have any vision. I'll just do whatever. Like I'm trying to find, uh, or I am finding the vision, the balance between those two perspectives, and. I know that's something that you mentioned in the write-up, uh, doing a lot of work on what's called integrative thinking, meaning that we can have uh, opposing ideas or we can have many ideas, to be opposing just many ideas, and all those ideas can all fit together. They don't have to um, be oppositional towards other ideas and then uh, turn into uh, this versus that um, polarization, which, as I've covered in a lot of live streams, um, we tend to exaggerate once that happens too. Once we polarize, once we've gotten to a place where it's either this or that, both of those sides tend to uh, exaggerate and even lie like a little bit to make it so their side seems more reasonable than that other side, the other side. We don't like the other side. So we have to make our own side sound much more reasonable and better and the other side sound bad, right? Right. Um, that, well, and that's even, even did that with when you were talking about the challenges of working with other people. You said, I'll say it a nice way and I'll say it in a not so nice way. And rather than being like, this is the, the the right perspective and this is the wrong perspective, you're like, you know, I'm comfortable with the, the shadow aspects of maybe I do have some control issues, right? Um, and you're able to look at it from two different ways and not say that you have to look at it one way and not the other. You're able to kind of integrate both of those ideas into, into the same thing. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things I'd, I'd love to help clarify for people is, um, you know, we, we, we can use... Uh, terminology like shadow aspect and that's something that's very intuitive and natural to us but for people who are listening I know we have Steven Luker on here who's a frequent uh, no filter attendee for many of the many of the no filter shows hi Steven um, but I don't know if Steven has any background in in the terminology shadow aspect or some of our listeners might not know what a shadow aspect is so when you're referring to that in a, a sense of personal psychology and you say you're comfortable with the shadow aspect, could you sort of give a 101 about what you mean by that? I think we should name this whole series Stephen Cast. <laughs> hey, Stephen. Um, so, so a shadow aspect um, would mean that the light would be our actual perception. So this is the light. And think about light coming into our eyes, right? The light is what I can see. It's what I can understand. It's what I can visualize. It's what I can conceptualize. The darkness or the shadow is the stuff that we can't see, the stuff that we may take advantage of or take for granted because we're not able to bring it into our awareness. And uh, we may have denied aspects of ourselves, for example, um, if you're a person who's grown up with a really hardworking attitude, you might think, I am a work, a hardworking person. And then your family might be like, but we want to connect with you and have fun. You're like, nope, that's not who I am. I'm a hardworking person. So that means we can't see that other aspect of life because the mm. one aspect of life becomes dominant. Um, shadow, <clears throat> shadow and polarity tend to go hand in hand as well. So if we do have a very strong fixated point that has an oppositional um, viewpoint, then the other side will become the shadow. And shadow doesn't mean bad, it just means what what we're not looking at. So what the thing that we can't see, that's what the shadow means. Um, so it could be that a shadow is a very positive thing. It could be that the shadow is I'm not accepting them. I'm actually a great person with a great heart who's trying to help. But because if I polarize and I say, I'm a bad person without a with a bad heart that doesn't care about people, if I or the opposite, I could identify strongly with I'm a great person, but then leave out the, the negative aspects. Um, so any shadow is just the opposite of what we are purporting to be who I am. Um, and so it's important to remember that even if I'm a, <clears throat> a great tennis player, and I am a great tennis player, and I always play tennis, it's a great sport, you ever play tennis? Um, <laughs> the, feeling, the feeling that comes up is if I focus on that to the exclusion of other things, um, I might not be 
a great husband, but I'm a great t tennis player. But maybe it's hard to see that because my identity as a great tennis player will start to um, skew the vision or blind, create blind spots to other aspects of life. So when you're when you're talking about the shadow, it's not necessarily something that's bad or something that is you know the polar opposite of what's good in your perception. It's just literally what you are not directly perceiving with your vision, understanding, narrative, or you know projection of reality onto the world. Yeah, that that makes the most sense to me in that in that regard. So it could be positive things. Again, we can we can stuff really great aspects of ourselves and put them away and. Say, hey, that's not that's not for here. Maybe we live, we grew up in a really tough world, so kindness and softness becomes a shadow. Because if if you show kindness or softness, you're going to get hurt. So you go, oh, that that gets out of here. I'm going to be a tough man, and I'm here to be strong. So just whatever whatever we can't have in our regular everyday life, we have to put away. That becomes the shadow. Hmm. And is that that's uh, that's not just conscious choice to you know like in the hard worker example. Almost never. It's it's more subconscious, right? And I guess so. How does one become comfortable with exploring something that is in? If it's not a conscious thing, if it's not seen, how does one explore their own shadow? And how does one bring those things that are not in the light of awareness that people aren't aware of? How do they move it from that unconscious place to a more conscious place and integrate it in themselves? Well, this is kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning. I'm very lucky because life will continually bring it to us. So what I think it was Carl Jung that said, anything that we ignore and that becomes a shadow will actually continue coming. Um, now, oftentimes it comes in a perverted way though, like a twisted way. So let's picture we're denying niceness inside of ourselves. So we get grouchier and grouchier and grouchier and we become more and more um, kind of like tough and more hard and that kind of stuff. Then it could be that the deepest part of ourself really wants to be able to be kind and wants to be able to be loved. And so in a weird way, the shadow healing might be that someone comes into our lives that is open and can discuss things on a more vulnerable level so that we can soften around them. In other words, externally, it always seems like something or someone comes into our lives to try to expose our shadow. Now, if we're not aware of that process, it might just be fucking annoying. It probably will be annoying because someone's going to be bringing something up that we're not able to own for ourselves at the time. Uh, when it comes to personal work, though, so I just find that just if you think practical, at some point someone will bring it to you. Um, but on a very personal level, just sort of stating that I am interested and open to seeing what might be hard for me to see or what, uh, seeing what can't be seen. Now, mm. That's obviously just a call to the universe, but then just having awareness and allowing that to bubble up and allowing as an edge comes up, be like, oh, is there anything more to this edge that I can kind of soften and then integrate and include? And then you start to do that. Honestly, I wish there was a quicker fix, but there pretty much isn't. Like everyone I know that it's like, hey, I found this. It's the one, two, three shadow. All I have to do is one, <laughs> two, three, and then I've got my shadow. Like every time I see like a quick fix on this, it can be very beautiful. There's nothing wrong with anything that opens that door. Um, but I have noticed that it is um, always uncomfortable and painful and annoying to have to do this work. And the universe is, uh, uh, or the our field or whatever the fuck, our soul, I don't know what it is, but something keeps on driving us towards areas where we have blind spots in order to help open them up. That, seem, that seems to be the case. <laughs> so, I guess in simpler terms, life will always provide an opportunity for us to see where we're not being conscious or where we're, you know, creating blind spots within our own psyche. And the best way to, I guess, move them into the light of consciousness is to develop awareness for our life as a whole, not necessarily to go on this big shamanic inner journey to try and find your shadow and dig it up but just to have the openness in your day-to-day -day life to notice these things pay attention to them and observe them without judgment and i guess that for me what you what, when you were talking about that what that brought up for me was I, I feel like that's principally the purpose of meditation is to cultivate that neutral awareness that sort of transcends the biases of your own personality or your own psyche. It's it's this cult, you know, meditation is simply, at least in my own practice lately, has been 
the observance and the noticing of thoughts and sensations as they arrive or arise within the field of consciousness. And that sort of um, practice of viewing from that witnessing state, that observing state, is it can pull me out of my own personality, it can pull me out of my own story. So I'm more likely to notice things from a, no, a more neutral standpoint as opposed to this sort and of I like think, blinders situation that you have on that you were talking and about. And I think what I hear you saying is it's not that just you're sitting down and in your eyes closed meditation, all of a sudden you're getting awareness of certain things, but more that that is the cultivation process of awareness itself, which is then actually in our everyday life. And so it'll be that when we're talking, we can actually feel ourselves, oh, I've just gone over the edge. Um, and now like you can feel about, oh, my heart, a little bit closed or my heart is a little too open it's more like an in the moment appraisal of what's going on and an in the moment adjustment um depending on the external circumstances as well hmm. yeah well it's 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 i think one of one of the things that i've i've noticed since being more consistent in my meditation practice again was i didn't realize how much i was living without realizing it <laughs> hmm. and or to put it in a different way i didn't realize how much of my life was being lived habitually or unconsciously or run uh, simply based on patterns or run from, uh, you know, pre-programmed reactions to different things. And those pre-programmed reactions are just my personality, right? Your habits and your 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 triggers and your biases and, and your sort of automatic things. When you sort of get tired with life, you can let yourself run on autopilot. Whatever you have as a personality structure is going to allow you to you know kind of run on autopilot but when you start meditating more at least when i start meditating more, you know i don't want to speak in terms of like when you do this this is your experience <laughs> my experience has been the more that i have cultivated that consciousness uh the more that i've been aware of my patterning the more that i've been aware of my habits and my biases and my personality and how limiting that personality can be in terms of perception in terms of understanding in terms of observation and you know it, it's affected my relationships because I'll, I'll be holding on to my biases in relationships and i'll argue my point to the freaking death versus uh being able to let go of certain things in, in conversations where because i have that broader awareness and i can identify like you said it's these things that for me that was that was a shadow it's like my personality these biases or these insistences or these habits were not i wasn't aware of them because i was running them on autopilot and the more i cultivated awareness the more i was able to see them and uh not necessarily forcibly change them or go to war with them but they just kind of fell away when i brought them to the light of consciousness or awareness when i became aware of them they just sort of dissolved i find that everything you said can be completely true and also, sometimes, like during a retrograde or a full moon, the same things that we thought that we we finished are they do come back up. And so when they do, just being very cool with that and using that same meditative awareness, that same conscientiousness to move through it when it comes up, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think for me, I think the the whole the whole notion of like, oh, because I noticed this, this pattern is gone forever is ridiculous, right? Because I've because I meditate, I'm no longer an angry person. It's like, well, I can just I have a greater awareness of, of tendencies that I have, but that doesn't mean the tendencies go away just because I'm aware of them. It just means that I don't have to stay stuck in them or, you know, kind of be thrown around by them like an out of control washing machine cycle. The washing machine going mental. Um, yeah, yeah, all those things, exactly. So, but it, it is true that my relationship to myself has changed drastically over time. The more space, the more consciousness, the more awareness that's brought in, uh, the more the developmental stages of life stop becoming the, 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 the actual pattern of what's going on, and there's flexibility for sure, man. Um, I wanted to say very quickly as well that a lot of those things that you're talking about, those biases, those personality traits, those things that get stuck, they really do come from like often childhood, often uh, developmental stages. And um, you and I have experienced some trauma in our lives, but there are people that have experienced like serious trauma in their lives. And so just to be compassionate that it would be really, really hard to break that if you had a father that hit you or you had um, 
um, somebody abused by withholding love or security or food or whatever the fuck it is that people experience in life, it would be a lot harder to overcome this stuff. So um, not that it's not impossible, in fact, very possible. But those those deeper um, childhood imprints, they really, especially if there's been a lack of care or a lack of safety, they can really set a, a really hard tone for a person's life. We're going to set the tone. We're going to set a nice tone right now, but <laughs> uh, but it can be very difficult. Just remember, and any any place that we've got deep insecurities, it's just it's harder to work with those. It just is harder to work with those, and we've all got them in some form, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like we can't. We you know, medit- I always uh, warn people that. You know, for me, meditation, when I practice it on a regular basis, I have great benefits from it, but it's not some sort of miracle cure-all, you know, turn you into this enlightened person that doesn't experience uncomfortable emotions or, or you know, you're not going to act less like a shitty person just because you meditate, right? In fact, that's, I'd say, probably the core delusion of a lot of abusive gurus is this idea that because you are uh, regular in your meditation practice or you have a spiritual perspective on life that you're somehow a better person for it um the humility that comes with just knowing that you're still you're still a person and you're just observing this unfolding is is you know some of the grace that you can hold on to i guess in the long term right and that comes back to blind spots as well right that's the same idea as if i have an idea that now i'm spiritual everything's going to go well i'm not going to make any mistakes and life is going to be great by then forcing enforcing that that is who i am 100% all the time, then that's going to create a shadow for anything else. And it's quite a dichotomy. I mean, honestly, that's what the the priests and the the spiritual religious people have gone through as well. Ah, yes, here I am so holy. You know, I'm also cheating on my wife and (laughs) all kinds of crazy stuff, right? So just being careful, actually using that word. If ever we catch ourselves thinking, wow, I am so holy, so holy, so connected to God, so much more than all those other people, like those people down there and down there if we start to fall into that we know that we're starting to flip i think that's like a a fairly easy indicator for anybody that's going through (laughs) a spiritual awakening if all of a sudden you think fuck i am the best and fuck everyone else is the worst probably (laughs) we're doing an egotistical mindset right (laughs) um so so the word ego is thrown around a lot like a lot Mm. um not just in spiritual circles i feel like yeah you know anyone who is in psychological yeah you know any any amount of when you talk about ego um what would you kind of define it as or what's your relationship with the the notion the idea of ego yeah so just fixed personality traits um and specifically fixed personality traits that need other people to be something in order to confirm that 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 is the reality in other words like um it's easy enough to have strong ideas, but the ego would say that everyone else will need to confirm that this is true. Okay, let's let's get back on the let's go back to originally here. Because um, the ego is just so easy, as you just pointed out subtly, to misinterpret what the ego means. To either create a, a monster out of it, so it's like, hey, this is this whole monster that we have to fight, or to create a uh, a psychological framework. Um, that could get that could get sticky. So the ego is uh, identification with body and mind, and that identification is living in an ethereal way. It's not something that has substance. It's something you could put your hand through the ego if you wanted to. It's not real. When people talk about the mind being an illusion or the ego being an illusion, that's what they mean is that it it is a temporary structure, an etheric structure that sits. And it identifies with, this is my body, this is my mind. But every time we have a thought, so I have the thought, I like apples, then this other part says, hey, I know that my mind likes apples. And then that would be the ego. Not the thought, I like apples, but the thought, I know that my mind is my ego, and I know that in that mind, I like apples. So it's like a, a filter step between just a thought form, which is I like apples, and the personal identification with the belief that i like apples <laughs> um that's that's the it's kind of a convoluted thing to describe but the the thoughts themselves are not ego the identification and attachment to the thoughts as a separate entity that is me that's mm. where it would become 
um, an ego. And that's all good. We all have a me. We all have a conceptual self. Um, but there is a line in which that ego needs confirmation and it needs conflict in a weird way. It needs both of those things. It needs a juxtaposition against this is me and who are you? This is me, but who are you? There's something about that identification as me and then a making of an opposite, making as an opposition um, that somehow that is the function of ego anyway. <laughs> I like apples, therefore I am. Yeah, I like apples, therefore I am. I know that was <laughs> quite convoluted, but it is. No, uh, no, it, I was following the thread. I was following. It's a complex subject. And if again, if we just said, oh, it's your mind. That's not quite it either, because mind comes through and it says all kinds of things. It's, it's somehow the identification with the mental and physical vehicle. And mm -hmm. then it's not just an identification, but it's an identification of this versus that. This versus the rest of the world. <laughs> one, one of my favorite quotes about the ego was the, the experience of ego is just thinking without realizing that you're thinking. It's just these thoughts that sort of happen, Automatic. and this is how I that, that that you know how I interpreted it is these thoughts that arise. As soon as they arise, you immediately identify. It's like, well, I'm the one thinking those thoughts, even though they're just happening. Mm -hmm. And assuming that every thought that pops into your mind is somehow, you know, consciously chosen and curated by mm -hmm. this sense of self that you have, right? So this amalgamation of of beliefs and biases and and filters that produce these random thoughts, you think these random thoughts are you, even though they're just happening to arise in this space without <laughs> without any intervention, right? So uh, just as a, as a play for anybody listening to this, if you wanted to fuck around to find out what the ego is and what the mind is, just let your mind go wild for a while. Let the mind go wild for a while. Just see what happens. Like, let it say crazy stuff. Like, let it be like, I'm going to, Take off that person's coat and put it on my head and run up in the air. It doesn't matter. And you let your mind start to go free like that, then it doesn't matter because you're not going to do that. You're obviously not going to go steal that woman's coat. But let it do that for a second. Let it actually just play itself out for a bit. And if we don't then judge the thought as being, yes, that is true, and no, that is not true, but just as being a funny idea, <laughs> that's kind of where surrealism and comedy comes from, really. Like, if, if we really track it back, Comedy is the ability to fuck with thoughts, to play with thoughts, to not take them so seriously and to work with them. And when you when we see comedies that really strike us, it's usually because it's something that we ourselves have actually had the thought of, but would never dare say it out loud or never dare put it into any form of reality. And here we're watching it as this joke, ha ha ha. <laughs> it, brings, it brings reflective value um, when we see those things externalized. Well, and I think that's, you know, in terms of uh, like what you just said about comedy, it's like you say these things that you would never quote unquote do. The reason you would never do them is because you have this idea about who you are and what things align or what actions or behaviors align with this idea that you have of yourself. And so the further away a comedy frames that, the funnier it seems, right? Like I would never be like that. <laughs> <laughs> we could give ourselves that same grace and allow our minds to just go mental and just say silly things because they do. You know, that impulse to throw yourself off a cliff, that impulse to make a joke in the wrong situation, like those are, um, they're just thoughts that just come through. And if we took them less seriously for ourselves and with each other, then they would just be thoughts that come through and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be attached to them as strongly. I remember I was hiking with a good friend. I live out in Banff, Alberta, so there's mountains everywhere. And I went on a hike with a friend, and we get to the top. Both of us are kind of looking off this ledge of this mountain. And he looks to me, he's like, okay, don't think I'm too fucked up for saying this, but <laughs> when you get onto the, the top of a mountain, do you ever imagine pushing the other person right off the cliff? And we both like, oh, I was like, yes, I do. Uh, of course, you would never fucking push someone off a cliff, but we were in tears laughing about all the messed up thoughts that you have that you would never actually have. Exactly. And it was, and, it, and again, I think it was one of these things where you're just kind of acknowledging the quote shadow, these thoughts that just arise, these animalistic impulses or these dark or violent thoughts that you have that come from God knows where in your psyche. But when you just bring them up out of context, with with the knowingness that you would never act on it either, there's that safety to just laugh at it. 
Exactly. So imagine if we can apply that to ourselves and actually having good friends that you can do that with is the best. And you and I have done heaps of that in our lives too. Just saying the things, just saying the things, even if they're not real things, even if they're not to be taken seriously, just saying the thing can be quite amusing. And I also imagine that in that scene of you guys both sheepishly at first expressing, like, I have had the thought of pushing each other, that in the end you both went, well, and then you both pushed it at the exact same time right onto each other's <laughs> hand. And you both went backwards and everything, and everything became quite funny on the way down. You could be like, hey, remember when we made the joke? And you're both like falling. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go. Uh, but seriously, when it comes to comedy, seriously, <laughs> but seriously, when it comes to comedy, um, the idea is that the things that are absurd are the most funny and the further away from reality they are, they're the most funny. You don't want to murder your friend. We don't want to throw our cell phone into the water. That would make no sense, but it still comes up, you know, it still comes up in consciousness. And if we can have a laugh at that, that's kind of the root of comedy in a weird way. That's the Zen, the big Zen joke is that uh, all of our minds are completely fucked and they're not even real anyway. They're not even real anyway. So by engaging with that aspect of mind and trying to fix it or trying to heal it or trying to help it, all of those things are kind of like trying to, um, yeah, trying to, as the Buddhists say, pour water through a strainer. Like there's just no, or trying to catch water with a strainer. Like there's just no way that all of the attempts to try and fix or heal or make better uh, in a situation where the premise is faulty, so the thing itself doesn't even actually make sense. Um, it just can put us on a spin uh, that can last like a long time. And like all of the monks that are literally like, I'm going to get rid of my ego. I'm going to get rid of my ego. Like, okay, we'll go for it, man. But like that in itself is is a form of ego. I mean, it would have to be correct. So, you know, you, you, you passively said something in that, expose that you just said that the mind isn't even real like it's not even real right like it's like okay yeah that's that's a pretty big statement for someone who is living in the experience of having a mind and having their mind be real and having the thought structures that they have and their personality be real and their their identifications real um you and i probably know just not even from theory but from experience that the mind isn't necessarily uh you know a, a solid reality but if someone who is stuck in this perception of well what the hell do you mean the mind isn't real of course it is i'm thinking a thought right now uh, you know how would you how would you go about not even explaining you could you could you could try to explain it but how would you give people the experience or impart the knowing that the mind isn't actually real it's not a real tangible thing yeah so how do you explain that process well again in every mystical religion they've said that the world is an illusion but it's not that um like it's not that the actual physical matter is an illusion our perception about it is an illusion so if you look at a tree and you think that is a tree well it isn't it just is an amorphous beautiful barky type thing like it's like all these cool colors and it's brown and it's hard and it's soft and it's open that's those are textures those are feelings those are experiences but every idea strong idea that i have about the tree isn't the tree that's that's just my idea of a tree so if we took that on uh, and like if we took that very seriously we could just look around and realize that my idea of you for example anthony i think very highly of you but still, really, my, they're just my thoughts. Like, our, our appraisal about a subject. Here's a great easy example. When people argue over whether a show is good or not. Well, it is for some people, and it isn't for other people. It's just straight up. So when people are trying to convince each other, no, well, the acting was terrible here. But yeah, but the screenplay was perfect here. All of that is just horseshit, essentially. Like, it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't matter what, this, what the first person thinks or the second person thinks. We're just being real. It doesn't actually matter. It's all. And then imagine the person and people who created the movie and all of their intentions and everything. And then it's being interpreted by people completely differently than they had intended and all this kind of stuff. So just especially as an artist, an artist kind of hits the brunt of this, the, the strongest. But yet what, what people think about us and our art and our ideas, it doesn't actually matter. 
people have all sorts of ideas. And if you asked every single human for their opinion on a subject, you'd have all the all the opinions in the world. And it's beautiful. That's actually a wonderful thing that we can synthesize. And that's what we're talking about at first, multidimensional thinking, being able to see from all the different uh, aspects. But the point of meditation and uh, a practice of attuning to nothingness would be recognizing that all of those thoughts don't matter as well. One technique that you have used in, you know, I've, I've sat in some of your meditation classes before, and one technique that always stood out to me and that I've actually stolen and used in other contexts Good. was while you're, <laughs> while you're guiding people in meditation, you'll get people to pay attention to the sensations of their hand. And then, you know, you'll get people to, you know, feel the air on the skin and feel it as a hand. And then you'll get them to imagine the, you know, the muscles and tissues and then the cells and then maybe even the molecules and then the atoms. Um, and for me, that brought up a follow up question of, well, which one's my actual hand? You know, is it is it a hand? Is it a collection of tissues? Is it a collection of cells? Is it a collection of molecules? Is it 99.99 empty space in between these atoms and these things, you know, like this idea of the world isn't an illusion because here's this water bottle. I feel this water bottle. I can drink this water. I can do all this stuff. But what it's actually made of is 99.9 empty space, according to physics. For me, that brought up the question of, you know, which version of these things of, of this one reality is the actual reality and the the kind of conclusion that i came up with is that it was it's all of them right so this i this idea of like my hand can simultaneously be a hand and atoms and tissues and it's it's all of these things but i experience it based on what my perception of it is at the time and i'm you know i'm not going to actually directly perceive my hand as atoms unless i like took too much acid or something <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> but <laughs> but you know like you can because of our our and this is the thing this is where the mind doesn't become a real thing like we can conceptualize our hand as as empty space but that conceptualization even though on one level of reality it might might be true we don't perceive it or experience it as such and we're creating an illusion in our mind of our hand that's why in in these classes like you're pointing to the idea is what if we experience it i'm experiencing the hardest most material form this is my hands these are right here then i'm relaxing those hands and i'm actually not going to feel the nerve endings the same way and then i'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into letting go of control of those hands letting go of my ideas about those hands and letting go of preconceived notions as to what they're supposed to feel like and look like. And then I get into a state of consciousness where I'm in relationship with those hands or the hands are even almost beyond relationship. It is just one sense of presence that eventually is connected to the whole universe. And that would be, that's the, that's the idea. You follow that thought stream that you mentioned even further. Eventually you go, yeah, there's, there's nothing that isn't and nothing that is, and it's all just, it's all just here. And actually it becomes very simple because then if you're just talking to someone, you're just talking to someone, there's nothing more to it. Um, it this type of inquiry into no mind or into questioning the validity of mind ultimately uh, often will lead to simple presence. So it seems very complicated. Everything we've talked about seems very complicated right now. You know, like there's ego, there's not an ego, and there's a hand, there's not a hand. All that is fine and well. But in the end, what would happen is you would just be like, hello. <laughs> nice day today. <laughs> you know, like ultimately that's that the final conclusion. Because when a person's going through a spiritual awakening, things can get very complicated. And because the mind is trying to grasp the infinite, which is impossible, it's going to get even more complicated. And oftentimes we'll play out archetypical good versus evil. And we'll play out um, uh, uh, groupthink consciousness where, yeah, there's going to be this side, the good people. This side. You see that collective delusion in our consciousness so strongly right now, the good versus the bad and, and these big events. And it always has to be a big um, triumph, like the hero's journey on everything. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. but ultimately in most spiritual awakenings it starts as a hero's journey it starts as a battle between the ego the ego versus god and all these things happen and eventually you realize as those pieces drop away further and further that all of that stuff is an illusion and ultimately you're just standing there it's nothing 
particularly exciting or not exciting. It could be as exciting as possible because just yeah. getting there's that I feel like that is the full arc of the spiritual journey. Um, there was a quote by a Zen monk named Dogen, uh, and I think it goes, before one studies Zen, mountains are mountains and waters are waters. After a glimpse into the truth of Zen, mountains are no longer mountains and waters are no longer waters. And then finally, after enlightenment, mountains are once again mountains and waters are once again waters. Um, I, I mean, I went through that. I was I was in this whole other realm of like everything is energy and we're all one and in the cosmos. And it was very I even remember having a conversation with my dad on the phone once. He's like, Anthony, I don't know where the hell you're living, but it's not on Earth and I'm living on Earth. So if you could come back to us, that'd be great. Um, and, you know, it, it took it took a while, but I did have my moment of, oh, oh, just it's just all here. It's just we're just it's OK. There, there's no I want to speak from an interesting perspective in a way i was um acting as a leader into some of those weird thoughts not just for you but just in life in general so going through those own realizations myself having as a charismatic person kind of brought other people into that was mm. um uh, even stronger reckoning i guess you could say because it wasn't just my own personal responsibility but it was responsibility for others as well um and not that i don't even feel bad about it just it is what it is <laughs> There was, there, there, there was, and there is. Um, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to say that as a person who has also gone through that similar journey, but also kind of like influenced a bunch of people along the way, it was even more complicated uh, when it was time to move into simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you have moved into simplicity, you know, you're, you're living with your family, you're starting these, these courses, and your work has obviously evolved quite a bit from maybe more like a complex or cosmic sort of new age perspective, just something a little more grounded, a little more practical, and a little yeah. more oriented towards just, you know, the simplicity of presence. So what will you be teaching in your courses and what can people kind of expect in terms of going through yeah. the journey of, of your courses? And so what we're doing is setting it up so that there's obviously a lot more self-reflection. So we're going to set up courses like, hey, we're doing shadow work. Now, list five of the things that you suspect might be shadows. And then it'll be like a revisiting as well over the course of a month. So maybe after one week again, like now, what when we revisit those shadows, anything else kind of like coming up or is it the same thing or is it change? You know, but the idea is to continually prompt questions that are going to lead people to their own their own revelations, which I think makes the most sense. Um, and um, the idea will be to talk about presence, of course, but then obviously do very practical, experiential, immersive experiences into presence and into shadow work and into, I was even thinking about going all magical. After all of this simplicity and after taking things down, once mm. the course reflects that, people are free in the end. Like if you go through a process of liberation, you're free. You can, you're free to be a magical being running around um manifesting things with your third eye and stuff like that i'm not close to all that but we don't start there mm -hmm. and the problem is a lot of a lot of the world starts there right now we start with the fantastic and like that's cool if we can cleanse our palates mentally to simply be present and to be as attuned no one's ever perfect but as attuned as possible to the present moment and as uh, non-dogmatic as possible with our ideas and stuff and from there we could do all kinds of crazy cool stuff so all the stuff that i'm talking about in a way disowning in favor of simplicity might come back except with simplicity as the driving force mm. if that makes sense and i feel like that's almost at least in my experience the the whole quote manifestation thing where you're you're kind of working magically the more you try to do that and the more you identify with those elements the less it works you know it, the less it quote works and the less um the, the the more attached to it as an, uh, of an identity, you, the, the more you're insistent that things have to unfold a certain way, the less flexible and the less flow. Like, uh, if you establish like when we go to a, a psychic reader and they say, I see your soulmate. They seem to have brown hair and they seem to be about middle middle build. And then literally every single person you see with brown hair is like, this is my soulmate. It must be the psychic said. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you brought up psychics just there, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, you, have, you have one of my favorite quotes about the idea about psychics, because psychics can be a really sensitive topic for people who 
uh, quote self-identify as rational or skeptical and they'll they'll make a prideful point of quote not believing in psychics or psychic phenomena and one of the things that you said that i really liked is you know that you don't believe in psychic phenomena you experience it so could you talk a little bit about that yeah definitely um and so again being a person who's trying to strip back things into simplicity obviously things like psychic readers probably wouldn't make a lot of sense but i actually in states of presence in states of open presence in particular i have psychic moments all the time and um and share and share that with my wife right now all the time but you and i live years where that we were going through a thing where it just you just i just say something that you you and your friends have been talking about or it's hard to explain even a catchphrase one time that you and monique had been saying remember like um but to me that function works quite automatically which is kind of funny because we were just saying that the ego works automatically too so it's a funny thing because we're, there's a subtle automatic and there's a heavy automatic i'm not really sure what other way to put it but when in an open present state we are sharing the same field we are sharing the same face so it's not a matter of now i the separate version of uh, separate from you person I'm trying to peek into your mind using my mind all of that feels quite um, segregated and and to me again implies that same sickness of separation if we recognize that there is just one atmosphere that we're all living in and therefore our minds are intimately connected they just are it's mm -hmm. nothing special it's nothing that the kids are often psychic they go oh mommy like you you said that and you felt that and you go Oh, no, I didn't, but you did actually. Like that happens all the time with kids. Um, I just think that that happens with humans a lot too, or adults, sorry, a lot too. Humans or kids, um, adults <laughs> a lot as well, um, where if we're truly open and curious about another person's perception and um, it'll actually come through our consciousness, it'll just come through. It's not something that we have to access or that we have to go to get. It just flashes through our consciousness, moments of intuition um, in, the deep teachings of Hinduism, psychic phenomenon is talked about, but they also say, be careful, because if you start to identify as being psychic and you start to identify um, as a person who is always trying to uphold some sort of psychic uh, reputation or whatever, that all of that will take us off course, because that's not that natural psychic experience that we tend to have with each other anyway. Um, mm. So just being, I'm not, yeah, I, I very much experience um, experiences of psychic moments and and with many people in this world and i find that when if i'm around people and i am in an open mind that they experience psychic stuff too but it's just because the space is more open it's not necessarily to do with one person um doing anything it's more like letting go of the doing in order to activate a space that is just already naturally intuitive with each other i think even the labeling of these things as quote psychic because of it, it has so much of a stigma behind it or it has such a weight behind the term um or you know like it, it, it almost presupposes the the separation that it can devalue the actual nature of the experience it's uh in the, in the last podcast i did with a yoga teacher she was talking about in the yoga sutras one of the whole a whole chapter is dedicated to mystical powers that you gain by practicing yoga and she said you know i've never experienced these mystical powers I said, well, what are they? And she said, well, one of them is, you know, you can you can become as big as an elephant or as small as a mouse, or you could read people's minds. And I'm like, uh, I don't think you realize this. And because you're thinking in literal terms, you're thinking you're actually going to grow and shrink. When you're in a yoga class, you, your energy fills the whole room. When you're done that yoga class and you're living your personal life, you become as small as possible so that people don't find you, because <laughs> you need you need to, you know, decompress. When you're working with your yoga students you literally read their minds and know exactly what they need to hear and these these powers and these gifts which also the, you know in the yoga sutras you're warned against identifying with because it is an obstacle to freedom you you just naturally develop these with with presence and with awareness and with openness and they aren't they aren't necessarily incredibly special. They are phenomenal. They're wonderful. They're 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 helpful and they're useful. But they aren't anything that we can claim as unique to ourselves. And and yeah, and and it will come and go as well. Uh, almost everybody I know who has intuitive experiences is intuitive in moments and not intuitive in other moments, and that's okay. 
And the problem is, is that if we claim I am a psychic, then we're going to feel like we have to uphold that at all times. And even if we're not feeling it, we have to kind of force it or pretend it, if you know what I mean. And, and that's just not, that's just not the way. Mm. Um, uh, but moments will come and go. Apparently, um, Mother Teresa used to have moments where she felt completely connected to the universe and psychic and open and aligned. And she'd go, thanks, Jesus. I guess you're here for me. And then when she wouldn't feel that way, because nobody can maintain those states forever, she'd feel depressed or sad or disconnected. She'd go, oh, what have I done to, to displease you, Jesus? What have I done so that I'm not now um, being given these beautiful gifts from you, Jesus? Jeez, that really feels like you're putting a middle person, really <laughs> inserting another person into the whole situation of a natural coming and going, mm. of a natural moment that we might have with our, with our significant other or our friend where we feel psychic. That's okay. We don't have to assign it to Jesus. We don't have to assign it to a special power. We don't have to assign it to anything. He's a passing moment. <laughs> and to, I guess to view them as natural too, it, uh, it, like you said, it takes that pressure off, right? Rather than looking at it as divine intervention or personal specialness or, you know, <laughs> communication with some sort of astral being. It's like, no, this is just something that is natural to the human experience, right? We have we have these these flashes and these insights and these gut impulses. I don't like the word impulse actually, gut intuitions. Because I think I think the, the the it's very easy for a person to be impulsive and call themselves intuitive, you know, yeah. rather than No, I know it, but that's kind of the problem that we were talking about before is that the unconscious drives are often ego. And yet when you are experiencing an open flow state, that's also happening of itself so. So it's not something that you're forcing so in a weird way there's like under consciousness like the actual damage blind spots and stuff and that is running unconsciously there's consciousness where you're like hey i'm aware of myself and then there's like this other super consciousness that just flows through us and it's a mm -hmm. bit fucking hard to talk about <laughs> you know like uh, without confusing people because then if you said to people don't trust your impulses because those are all um ego then it's like, oh, those natural impulses might get swept up. But if you said to everyone, trust your impulses, trust all of them, what's going to happen? People are going to use yeah. that as, uh, subconsciously as a pass to let their ego through and um, probably destroy themselves. So it's mm -hmm. like it's a it's really hard to talk about um, spiritual understanding without it being relational, contextual, and without it being uh, flexible to the actual phase a person is in as well. Because pretty much every other system like aside from Western science, involved cycles, it involved like moments where it would be intelligent to do something and moments where it wouldn't, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, um, because of our allopathic uh, assigning that it seems like everything is consistent all the time to be one thing all the time. It, but, but again, in most traditions of the past, it was known to be cycles. So there'd be times to trust your impulses and times not to, just straight up, you know? And yeah. Like, being able to have, like, if you're in tomastic mode, don't trust those impulses. If you're in orgastic, do. But it's like without that framework in our culture, it's hard because everything we talk about is either in positive favor or um, negative denial. And ultimately, life doesn't work that way. But how the fuck do you talk if you don't, if you're not, if you're not speaking this way either? Because this is all the linguistics and all of the, um, and all the communication methods that we've created as well. That's yeah. we're writing the history of thousands of years on. I think um, you know that 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 idea of having a conscious, a super conscious, and then just your mind kind of going. Um, so many different religions have tried to to create metaphors or symbology for that exact. I mean, even if you think about Christianity having the Trinity, where you have the Father, which might represent universal truths the the sun which is you know divinity manifested as in like this is a human version of how you should act and then the holy spirit which is this intuitive sense that moves through you like people can be moved or possessed by the holy spirit so you have these you have you know actual structures of of behavior or or dictates of of what it would mean to live a good life by your mind which might be jesus um these these biological truths or these universal truths which is the father and then this impulse this intuition that's from some other place that's the holy spirit right you, you have all different kinds of metaphors for that yeah totally and again people have definitely given it a crack um 
think that um, maybe, honestly, if I'm just being compassionate, people have been in survival mode for so long that it's just so hard to integrate large pieces of information or frameworks that involve uh, many different things because a lot of people are just like, I just have to go to work so I can make money so my family doesn't die. Mm. You know, just, that's been the dominant uh, consciousness for so long now that it's just hard because there are complex systems, there are beautiful maps, there are brand new maps and, and systems that are being uh, put through right now. Beautiful. But if I just want to say it in a very compassionate way, if a person has never moved out of a survival consciousness, it's very, very hard to um, connect spiritually. And the majority of the world has been in that state, like I'd say like a far, like 80%, 90% majority up until just recently. And now we in privileged countries get a chance to kind of be like, wait, what do I feel or think? Um, and that's going to, that's almost brand new, relatively speaking, to the amount of time that we've been in the other mode of consciousness. And I just want to just say, as we're coming close to like a wrap up, that this is going to be a fairly complicated and sometimes messy process because we're unfolding and unlocking aspects of self that have been driven away, positive ones like our spiritual nature and our soul and negative ones like our shadows because we haven't had the time or space to deal with any of it. Um, so just in a very compassionate way, it's not, not going to be an easy road for, for many people to go through healing and spiritual connection. So for that person who is maybe moving out of that survival consciousness, who is waking up a little bit and is actually asking that question, wait, what do I think and what do I feel? They're, they're taking that first step and they're like, they're embarking on this, you know, quote, messy process. Just as a wrap up, what would you say their first step to create that space for themselves would be? Yeah, um, support like big time support, like networks of people that are ready to hear and that have been already doing this work. So I already have like a, and there are plenty of people these days that have, that already have like a bit of an understanding of that so that it can become normal uh, to that person who is moving into these other states of consciousness. And for one's personal life though, cause that's, I always, I do default to community um, and relational awareness cause it's what I work with personally the best. Um, but for a person that maybe is not in that state of mind and, and maybe is just getting into it is, yeah, I don't know, man, like the internet and groups of people and friends, like I really find it very hard to say to somebody in this age of connection and age where we have access to information and courses and people, it's hard for me to be like, just go be by yourself and everything will be fine. That might be true. <laughs> a lot of people that is probably true for. Um, but in this age, I do think that relational bouncing and healing seems to make the most sense. And even if a person, I've seen this so many times, like, no, I'm not doing this with anyone. I'm going to be by myself and I'm going to continually meditate and become a better person. I don't need anyone. I still find that when that person is then introduced to other people and to a relationship or to kids, or I'm going to do that right now for kids, we're challenged in ways that we wouldn't ever have been able to know. And it is through that challenge that often we grow, often we become more connected spiritually. So yeah, if you're just going through this process, uh, congratulations, <laughs> and um, really start to see what is it that was told to me is true, and what is it that I've told myself is true, and what is the truth, or what is a clear vision of what's true. That same process over and over and over again, alone and with others, appears to be kind of the only way through. That's beautiful. So, Josh, if people want to know more about your work, where is the best place for them to find you? We have a website called <clears throat> etherealmisfits.com. So if you look at etherealmisfits.com, it has some writing, it has our intention, our mission statement, and it will very soon have courses. Amazing. Cool. And for those who are just tuning in on either Spotify, iTunes, or another podcast streaming platform, we did this podcast on No Filter Network, which is an interactive Woo! live streaming platform. Uh, when you have questions, there is a live chat that you can put your questions in. You can hit the knock button and you can join the stream directly. So if you wanted to ask Josh or I questions, if you were on this live stream on No Filter, you can actually do that and you could join the video and then you'll be part of the podcast yourself. I'm really, really excited about No Filter Network. It's a project that I've been working on with my family for over a year now. And this is the first podcast that I have done with Josh on No Filter. I love it, man. It's such a great platform. I can't wait to use it more. I'm excited, man. Thank you. And then 
this is going to be, I reckon, at least the first of many that you and I do together. I really found that we were, we were able to riff really, really well. Um, if you are interested in checking out Josh's work, go to etherealmisfits.com and look for him to be on nofilter.net in the near yes. future. Um, you can find this podcast on all streaming platforms, or you can watch the video replay on nofilter.net in my vault. My name is Anthony Manuel. Thank you so much for listening to Set the Tone tonight, guys. I hope you had a wonderful time and that you walked away with some perspectives that help you set the tone for your life in a new way. We'll see you next time.